Well, thank you for that beautiful song. Uh, I'm not sure if I need to preach now. That was a great, great message in itself, and I am excited to be here. Matthew, thanks for the introduction. It's a delight to be with you this morning to open God's Word. I appreciate it, Pastor Andy and the, the team here asking me to to proclaim God's Word to you this morning. We've come together. Uh, we've gathered to worship that Savior. In fact, uh, we've come as a faith family to worship this worship service this morning, to sing worship songs, to pray and to worship through the Word. We use this term worship in very various contexts and many meanings. So what does worship really look like and how should it affect our lives. From time to time, I hear people, uh, overhear people, they don't really say it out loud, uh, say, I didn't get anything out of worship today, not in this church, but in other churches, uh, Brother Gary, or I, I didn't really like worship today. Again, I know that's none of us, but I've heard it in other, in other places. And honestly, I've said it. And you've said it. Author Francis Chan, his response to this is, that's okay. <laughs> we weren't worshiping you anyway. There's some truth to that. When we think of the majority of the time, we think of worship, the majority of time of our likes and our dislikes, our preferences, of course, uh, of corporate worship. But I want to challenge you today from God's Word to see worship from a different perspective, to see worship as a true worship and what that looks like is more about music, is more than musical styles or preferences or lighting that true worship is Transforming. If you have your copy of God's Word, please turn to Isaiah chapter 6. There's a Bible in front of you. If you don't have one, if you have an app, open it up to Isaiah chapter 6. We're going to begin in verse 1. And as we begin, I want to give you a simple definition. It's not mine of, of what worship is, so we can be on equal footing. It's Warren Wearsby in his book, Real Worship. He says this, Worship is the believer's response of all that they are, mind, emotion, will, and body, to what God is and says and does. It's all of who we are responding to all of who God is. Please join me with your Bible to Isaiah chapter 6. As we open up here, I want to set the scene, set the clocks back to 752 B.C. Isaiah is a prophet of God in the nation of Israel. They've experienced a time of economic superiority uh, and military success. The king has reigned for over 50 years from the age 16 and now he's dead. The king, who is Uzziah, we'll read in verse 1, has sought the Lord, and the Lord has made him to prosper, as Second Chronicles 26 tells us. He and the nation experienced great success, but spiritually, they were bankrupt. Moral decay had set in with pride. And verse 16 of Second Chronicles 26 said that, that the, t- the king defiled himself in the temple with anger in his heart toward the priests, and leprosy broke out. On his forehead. As a side note, that should tell us to never get angry with our pastor. Okay? We don't want that to happen. But their love for God and worship of Him had taken a back seat to their success and their desires. Sound a little familiar? Maybe close to home? Maybe our country? Well, let's look and see what God does in Isaiah's life as we learn that true worship is transforming. And I, I'm not sure if, if it's intentional, but there's a light blinding the people in this section. Is, is that intentional? I just, they're having to cover their eyes. So if we can turn that off, that would be great. 
Um, that's okay with them. So Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1, the Bible says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw, this is Isaiah writing, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And the train, or the hem of his robe, filled the temple. The longer the robe, the more important they were in this eastern monarch time. And above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face. They couldn't see God. With two he covered his feet. They were unclean. With two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the, sh- and the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me. I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips and live and dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sins atoned for. And I heard a voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? It's a royal we there, I believe. I believe it's the, he's speaking on the Trinity, God speaking in force. He, and then, then I said, Here I am, send me. And I, and he said, Go and say to this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull or fat and their eyes heavy and blind their eyes lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears to understand of the heart and turn and be healed. Then I said, <laughs> he wanted to know how long this is going to go. How long, O oh Lord? And he said, until the cities lie, lie waste without inhabitants and houses without people and the land is a desolate waste. And the Lord removes people from far away and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. And although a tenth remain, that's a remnant, it will be burned again like a terebinth or an oak whose stumps remain when it fell. The holy seed is its stump. This morning we look and see that there's three reasons why true worship is transforming. The first is this. True worship is compelling. Look at verse 1. It says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon His throne, high and lifted up. This is this is 752. The king who reigned for over 50 years has died. It is a... Uh, and he died under less than honorable conditions, hear me. He died in exile in a hospital away from everybody because he was ceremonial unclean. But their leader has died. His death and demise was a tragedy to Israel. Israel kings died, but Israel's God is still alive. From the eye of and the mortality of men, we should look up with an eye of faith to the King Eternal, the Immortal God. King Uzziah died under a cloud for he was shut up as a leper to his last day. As the lives of princes are eclipsed or have their periods, so often their glory eclipsed. But listen, as God is ever living, so is his glory everlasting. King Uzziah died in the hospital, but the king of kings sat upon his throne. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon his throne. For some of us, it may be like this. In the year that my wife or my son, my mom or dad died. In the year that my business failed, in the year that my children became a drug addict, in the year that my 
son was born unable to walk or talk in the year of your greatest personal tragedy tragedy i saw the lord I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up. I saw the king. The king knows me and I know him. He knows my name and my situation. The sad fact that many of us, including myself, look do not look up in the midst of tragedy. We look down. And we rarely find answers among our sorrows and our tragedies. No matter our situation or crisis, God Almighty is there for you. This is always the correct answer. I saw the Lord. Look to God. He is there and will always be there as your source of hope and salvation. He wants to lift your burdens. He is waiting to give you rest. Suffering and perseverance and trials are are inevitable, Romans 5. But through the perseverance, as we focus on Him, He builds our character, our faith, and He transforms us through worship, through our response to Him. Hebrews 12, verse 1 says... From the hall of faith of, uh, of Hebrews 11. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight, anything that weighs us down, and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And how do we do that? Looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God the Father. Look to the Lord. Look up. Look to Almighty God on His throne. He is, He compels us to be transformed inwardly. So true worship is compelling and it needs to be compelling inwardly. You see, Isaiah didn't see Yahweh here, the essence of God. No man had ever seen that. John 1.18 tells us that. The word here uh, in your English version is not capitalized, and that's for a reason, because this is the word Adonai, which means ruler or master or Lord. He is seeing, Adonai means is Jesus Christ. He is seeing the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ here. John 12, verse 40, uh, speaks of Isaiah chapter 6, verse 10. He is quoting this chapter. And then he says this of Isaiah. John writes, after the people are not believing what Jesus is preaching, Isaiah said these things because he, Isaiah, saw his glory, Jesus, and spoke of him. The pre-incarnate Jesus is appearing at a most crucial time for Isaiah, just like he did three Hebrew boys in a fire. He came and was there. Just like he will be in your life, he will come and meet you in the midst of your tragedy. Don't look down. Look up. And we, the only way we can look up is if our work, if true worship is compelling us internally to be transformed. This is Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, co-eternal, co-equal with Father and Spirit. Isaiah is writing this, this text from his experience under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And God is revealing himself to Isaiah for a higher calling, for something that's going to be very tough. God has come to Isaiah and God has come to you. In no other religion does God come to man. You can't find one. God does not come to man. God would not, a a, a, a theological term, God would not condescend to man. Well, can I tell you that our God condescended. Our God came from heaven and has lived among us. The truth is that we're not worthy of that. He is perfect and holy and we are sinful and unrighteous. And all the other religions stop right there. That God would not come to you because of that. But can I tell you, I'm grateful for the but. But God put on flesh 
and dwelled among us. Jesus Christ lived in the stain and the filth of this world, but remained unstained for you and me so that we would be holy and righteous through him. This is the good news, and it is compelling for us to live for him. God is on his throne, and he came for me and for you. People often ask, when did you come to know Jesus? And I, I, I tell them, I, I pray to see Christ. I think at eight, but at 21, my life was changed. Jesus transformed me. But I was with him before that. You see, I was with him uh, in the crowd. I was in the crowd when they yelled, crucify him, crucify him. I was with the soldiers as they beat and tortured and spit upon him. I was there in my sin. I was there as... As my sister sang about, I was there at the foot of the cross when they ran the nails through his hands and his feet. I was there. I was there when they put that crown of thorns on his head. In fact, my hand was on that crown that went upon his head, mocking him. I was there. Friends, you were too. You were too. You and your sin were there. You may think that, well, hold on. I'm a pretty good, a pretty good person. I'm not really that bad. But the fact is without Jesus Christ, listen, you are an enemy of God. The good news is Jesus says this, love your, say it with me, enemies. He just doesn't tell you to love your enemies which is hard. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. He tells you to love his enemies because you were his enemy and he loved you. You see, we think we're pretty good. I'm just going to be honest with you. We think we're pretty good. In fact, much of the job, uh, uh, especially in the Bible Belt, is trying to see a mirror to people to prove that they're lost and that they need to be found. But let me tell you what, if you're an enemy of God, there is no question. You are lost without Jesus Christ. While we were still sinners, which means we were, while we were still an enemy, Christ died for us. Romans 5, verse 8. When tragedy and death and crisis arise, you and I don't need pithy, pious sayings or positive thinking or hallmark greeting card theology. Friends, I need the Lord of hosts who is seated upon his throne, high and lifted up. I need the one who has the ability to transform me. And so do you. Put away the self-help books, put away the, the positive thinking, and put on the clothes of Jesus Christ. Look at the Lord high and seated up. He wants to transform you inwardly. When I'm down in my misery and sorrow and situation and I can't do anything but look down, Christ comes. Have you been there? Listen, have you been there? Have you been where you can do nothing but look down? You, the, the weight of the world is on your shoulders. When you are looking down, Christ comes to us and he says, look up, look up. Look up, look up, look up, look up, look up at me. I died for you. I'm worth it. I created you to worship me. I created you to know me. I created you to come and give all your life for me because I gave all of mine for you. Give up. I can sustain you. Give up. I have the power to give you what you need. Adore me, praise me, sacrifice me, love me. You were created for this. Friends, you were not created for this world. We were created for the world that we sang about today, that she sang about, and that we look forward to going to. You were created for that. But let me tell you, what we do here matters. There. And we want to take as many people, as Matthew talked about, as many people with us as possible. 
My wife Robin's here this morning. We've been married 21 years this, uh, this year. I love her with all my heart. When I married her 21 years ago, I loved her with all my heart. Do you think, I said the same thing, do you think, with all my heart, do you think I love her more today than I did 21 years ago? Please say yes. I don't want to get in trouble. Okay? It's proven. Got it on recorded. I love her more today than ever before. I love her with all my heart. So what happened? How can I love her with all my heart then and all my heart now? God transformed my heart. He grew my capacity to love. You see, we've been transformed together. My love for her has compelled me to love, honor, and cherish her. We've had ups and downs. It hasn't always been easy. But through this, our love has been transformed. The same way is with God. Our love for Him should grow and never stop. It should not be easy. Let me tell you what. In a room like this, I'll guarantee you, there are people who have been married over 40, 50, 60 years. If you've been married over 40 years, just raise your hand. Wow, a lot of people. Let's give them a round of applause. Praise God. Praise God. That is a big deal today. If you went and asked all the people who raised their hands, you would hear story after story of transformed lives, because it took it, that led to transformed marriages. Friend, if you're going to be a lifelong laborer of Jesus Christ, you must be inwardly transformed. True worship is compelling inwardly, but it's also compelling outwardly. Look at verse 2. And above him stood the seraphim. They weren't necessarily standing, but they were there attending him. And the the, the, the seraphim, the, the word means to burn, implying a dazzling, uh, a burning zeal, a dazzling brightness. They burn in love to God and zeal for glory against his sin. Our zeal and passion for uh, for the God should lead others to know, grow, and go for the gospel. When people meet you, do they smell the sweet aroma of Jesus Christ, or do they see the world? On you, It should compel them to want to know more about Jesus because you're being transformed inwardly and it shows outwardly. Our worship compels us to love one another as Christ loves us. It compels us to spend our money and time where the world says there's no return on investment. Worship compels us to care for the, to care and consider and concentrate on the lowly, least and lost. The orphans, widows, disabled and addicted. The worship, our worship should reorient, his, reorient us to God's desires and his degrees decrees not our fascinations and fads true worship transforms us so that the gospel is compelling inwardly outwardly but friends let me tell you what corporately look at verse three and one called to another and said holy 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 is the lord of hosts that word host means a uh, a leader or a commander of an army um, uh, or the word host means uh, army or multitude of angels god here is the lord the commander of the angel armies who are singing holy 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 the whole earth is filled of his glory it's a big deal side note big deal the nation of israel only thought his glory would reside in israel here they are proclaiming the whole world. It's a big deal. Notice how the anthem was sung. It was ze- with zeal and fervency they cried. They cried to one another and with one another. Corporately they were praising God. Holy, 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 I believe implies the Trinity. As this angel of army of angels is praising God. Praising God was, will, and will always be the work of heaven. The church in heaven is the same with its praises. There is no change of time or notes there. It will all be on key. Worship is what we were created for, and it's what you will do forever. It is like, it is what we've been doing, uh, it is what we will do for heaven, in heaven, for eternity. 
People often say, I, I didn't really like worship at church, or, or I, I don't like to sing in public. And But can I tell you seriously, you were made to do this, and you're going to do it forever. Don't worry about what anybody around you corporately is saying, looking, or doing. You look at the Lord seated high upon his throne. You sing with the, the angels. Because Jesus, as I'm preaching, Jesus is here. As you're singing, he is here. And the angels are proclaiming. Do me a favor. Just, just close your eyes. Imagine this army of angels around the throne of God. Imagine now believers from all nations, every tongue and tribe are gathered from all time around the throne. Do you have this picture? Imagine, I know you can't, but it's hard, but imagine a triune God. Imagine this king sitting upon his throne. Do you see it? And now listen, and one, the whole army, and one called to another, and all the believers, and one called to another, holy or perfect or set apart. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of our glory. Friends, think about believers in Bell County and across America. Think about believers across the world today who are gathering to sing to the same God. There are millions upon millions, and we will be doing that forever in heaven. You were created to worship. You were created to be transformed through true worship. Look at Psalm 150. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary inside. Praise God in the mighty, in his mighty heavens outside. You praise him everywhere. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with a trumpet sound. Praise him with lute and, lute and harp. Praise him with tambourine and dance. Stay with me. Yes, God's word says dance. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with sounding or resounding. Boom, boom, boom cymbals. Praise him with loud crashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Can you hear the multitude of angels singing? Can you hear the great cloud of witnesses that have been gathered from eternity past? They're singing, they're singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. That's our worship and our praise. That's the great satisfaction of our glorious God is to praise his people. Matthew said I was a church planter in, in New York. I planted the church in seven, uh, uh, started, I was about 26, 27. And, uh, we planted it. It was hard going. The place I was in in New York was, if it was overseas, it'd be an unreached people group. It'd be a 2% evangelical. Not many Bible believing gospel preaching churches. A couple of years into it, I was experiencing burnout. Didn't know it, but I was. I didn't realize until I went to a pastor's gathering and they were singing and I didn't want to sing. I felt numb. The God that I love, the God that I committed my life to, the God that had transformed me, the God that had called me, the God that had, I had responded to to move across the country and literally at that time from Europe, across the world. I did not want to sing to praise or adore. I was unsatisfied in God because I was in worshiping idols. I was worshiping what God wanted to do through me, not what, who God was and what he wanted to do in me. I was not satisfied with him. John Piper writes this, listen, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. You hear that? God is most glorified in you when you are most satisfied in him. Friends, are are we satisfied in God? Are you? He delights in you. He his love for you is eternal, everlasting and unconditional. 
He wants you to respond to him in worship to be transformed. Friends, let's stop chasing idols of this world and let our lives be about praise, adoration, and glory. Look at how this true worship is convicting in verse 5. He says, Woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips. God has to move in us before he moves through us. And that's what he did in Isaiah. Isaiah 1 acknowledged his condition, and we must acknowledge our condition, that we're enemies before God. We must acknowledge that we are sinners. Woe is me, for I am lost. Before, if you're lost on the road, you have to realize you're lost before you can get found. I was driving to Oklahoma this week and I was in Fort Worth and realized I am not on the road that looks familiar. I had missed my exit. You done that? The landmarks began to, I saw Texas Raceway, Speedway, and I said, I shouldn't go by that. No, like I, I, I was lost, but I would love to go in it. But, uh, so what did I do? I went to my GPS on my phone and found the right direction. Friends, we have to acknowledge we're lost. We have to acknowledge our condition. We must confess our sin. I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among people of unclean lips. He was convicted because he had seen and encountered the living God. And look at what God did. He atoned for his sin. It says, And then the seraphim flew to me, having his hand a burning coal. He picked it up with tongs. The tongs not because he couldn't hold it. He was literally burning. It was because it was in the presence of God and he couldn't hold it. And this is what he did with the tongs or the, the coal. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. God sent this coal to Isaiah not to hurt his lips, but to heal them. Not to cauterize them, but to cleanse them. Not to burn them, but to bless them. And that's what God wants to do for you. There are some of you today there and here that do not know Jesus Christ. And you see God as a condemning judge and horrible jury. Let me tell you what, he is a loving father that wants to cleanse, bless, and keep you. He wants you to know him. He wants to transform you. He wants you to live for eternity with him. He wants to transform your life. This morning, if that's you, if that's you, at the end of this worship service, I want you to come down and meet this Jesus. You see, on our best day, we're not possible to come to know God. We're not able to come into his presence. On our best day, when I wake up with my Jesus jams on and I go to Chick-fil-A for breakfast and I get some of that heavenly bird on that biscuit that's like manna that dropped down from heaven, I go to Lifeway and buy the Bible studies and and, 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 a, and a Bible and DVDs and I buy the Jesus breath mints because everybody needs those, right? I come here, I come for Wednesday weekly tune-up, I come, I serve uh, at a homeless shelter in the, in the afternoon, then I come back for prayer meeting um, and um, Bible study, which those are all good things. But apart from Jesus Christ, you are lost. You are an enemy of God, even on your best day. You see, the Bible says our righteousness is as filthy rags to God. Think of the dirtiest rag you've ever seen. Your righteousness, the best you can do, is dirtier than that but before God. You see, Isaiah felt like he was a man in homeless, like in the homeless uh, rags as he stood before a king. And he said, woe is me. Friends, my fear for the church in America is that we think, man, God's, he should be happy to have me. <laughs> I mean, I'm kind of a big deal. I know the Bible back and forth. I'm glad he drafted a first round pick in me. Friends, we have that air about us. We have that air when we go across the world to mission on mission trips. 
But friends, let me tell you what, that same God that has poured out His grace upon you when you were not worthy is doing it in the lowliest village you could ever imagine. Jesus shed His royal red blood for you, causing a, cl- a crimson flood to wash over you. He has called you to die to yourself, but he's also died you. He has died you. He has remained the, uh, removed the stain of this world and stained you with his blood, marking you as created by and for Jesus Christ. Jesus has died you with his blood as you've died to him. And that blood is the accelerant for the fire that is to be kindled in the worship of Jesus Christ. Are you on fire today for Jesus Christ? If the answer is no, let me tell you, do you believe your guilt is taken away? Because many of us do not worship because we feel guilty. Worship means worth-ship, and it's not your worth, it's his. Many of you do not worship because you don't think you're worthy. The answer is you're not. Today, confess, repent, and have your sins atoned for, and say, God, I'm not worthy, but you are. Today, by faith, I worship, I surrender to you. I'm talking to you who grew up in the church. I'm talking to you who've been a Christian for 30, 40, 50 years and your worship is stale and mundane. I'm talking to you. God wants to transform you. God wants to have compelling worship. God wants to have convicting worship that transform you. And God wants to lead you to a calling to bring you to himself. You see, when, when precious metals are mined, they're chipped out or blown out of a rock formation. They're crushed up into little rocks. They're put into a thing that applies heat. You've heard this. The craftsman then comes and scoops off the dross, the impurities, until all the impurities are gone. He purifies the precious metals. That's what God is doing with your sin. He's purifying you. The, 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 the heat, the trials you are experiencing, God is purifying you. He's purifying you. Do you know when the precious metal is ready, when the gold or silver is ready? When the craftsman can see his reflection, his image in the precious metal that's liquid. Friends, God wants to see his image of his son in you. And when he's scooping off the dross, it's so you can be like my son, Jesus. I want you to come to me. Be like me. Worship me. He wants to see his image reflected in you. See Romans 8.30 for more information on that. I don't have time to go there. This transformation, uh, but know this, this transformation of God must precede, and hear me, it must precede worship or it must precede missions and evangelism. We can send 50 mission teams around the world. We can plant churches all around the country and not see the power and move of God. Our lives must be red hot for Jesus Christ through transformation and worship. Our zeal and passion must be like the seraphims, a ball of fire for Jesus Christ. If not, we're like vegans, and no offense, we're like vegans selling barbecue. You've seen it, you've smelled it, but you're not believing what all the hype's about. You need the personal experience of what that brisket, you need a personal experience of what worship tastes like. Have you felt worship at I know you've smelt it and you've seen it, but but have you tasted it? And have you tasted it recently? If never before, I want you to respond and come to know Jesus at the end of this. But if you're a Christian today, you haven't experienced true worship that's transforming in a while, today's your day to confess and come to God and say, transform me. Transform me. 
transform me. Some of us remember, resemble verse 9, and he says in Isaiah chapter 6, Go and say to this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing and do not perceive. We listen and we see, but we don't hear. We have sight, but don't see. And we have ears, but we don't hear what's being said. We're turning away from who God is. Isaiah said, how long must I do this? In verse 11, he said, as long as it takes. Friends, today, that's what he's telling you. As long as it takes, until the very end. That's how, that's how long God is calling us to worship him and to proclaim his word. Maybe today you're here, you're retired, and you're thinking that God's calling is for young people. Think again, hear me. The greatest missionary force available, available and somewhat and ready, financially and time-wise, are the boomers. You're the greatest missionary force available today. <laughs> you're, I'm too old. No, you're not. There are people going around the, around the globe right now in their 60s and 70s for Jesus Christ. Maybe God's calling you to do that. Maybe a young person, you're saying, I, I, I want to make a lot of money. That's not me. Let me tell you what. Graduate college. Use your skills in a strategic place for two years for the glory of God and see what God does in and through you. Maybe God's calling you. Who, who will go for us and, and who shall I send? Is your answer today? Here I am. Send me. If it's not, confess this morning. Ask God to renew your response to him to transform you. If this is where you're at, when we extend the invitation, I want you to come. The altar will be open. I don't know if we do this here, but I'm going to do it. You come and pray. You come and pray and get on your face before God with his people and have someone pray for you and say, God, my worship of you has grown stale. It's mundane. God, I don't really think about you except when I come in here. God, change me. Today is the day. If you don't know Jesus Christ, when I, at the end, when we sing, you come, you come to my hand and say, I want to be transformed by Jesus. We've learned that Isaiah, through Isaiah this morning, that true worship is transforming. It's compelling. It's convicting. And it leads to a calling only because of Jesus Christ. Hear me. God is a, he's a, a ascending God. He sent Abraham to leave his home for an unknown land where he would be made the father of many nations, but he, but the promise wouldn't be fulfilled until he was a hundred. It's never too late for God. He is Jehovah Jireh. The God will provide. He sent Noah to build an ark for a flood when they had never seen rain. Friends, no plan is outside of God's box because he ain't in a box. Bad grammar, good theology. He is the, he is El Shaddai, Lord God Almighty, all sufficient God. He sent Moses to tell Pharaoh, what did he t- say him? To tell him? To say? Let my people go. When it seemed impossible, and he delivered them through his sea, making it dry ground. Moses said, I can't, but God said, I am. God is the I am that I am. And today he's calling you to come to him in the impossible. He sent Joshua into a promised land and he said, be strong and courageous for I am with you wherever you go. No matter where you are, God's calling you to do. No matter what you're fearful of, God is with you. Be strong and courageous. He is Jehovah Shema. That means the Lord is there. Where's there? There. Wherever you are, he's there. Don't be fearful. He is with you. Be strong and courageous. He sent David as a 15-year-old boy to slay a professional soldier and giant with a, and giant with five smooth stones and a slingshot. What's your giant today? 
Let me tell you what, God's in front of you and God's behind you. God's to the left and God's to the right. Because God is Jehovah Nisi. The Lord is our my banner. I stand under the banner of God and I stand in victory through Jesus Christ. He sent John the Baptist to live like no one else so that others could have the life like no one else. Hear me, friends. Listen, listen. Do you want to continue to live like everyone else? Or do you want to be, or do you want to live like the one who saved you and will transform you? He is Jehovah Mekadish Kim, the Lord who sanctifies him or sanctifies you. And listen, he sent Jesus Christ, his perfect son, to be born in an animal trough, who lived a perfect life, who was wrongly accused, beaten, spat upon, and crucified for the death that you and I deserve. He is Emmanuel, God with you, God with us. He sent Paul, a religious leader who hated the church of Jesus Christ, to be the greatest missionary we've ever known. He died a martyr's death. Friends, he's telling you, don't give up on the calling he's given you. Don't give up on that family member who everyone says God can do nothing in in their life. Because he is the El Elyon, the most high guy, God, sovereign and supreme. And one more, listen, he sent Peter. A man who denied him three times, who turned his back on him. Maybe that's you today. Maybe that's where you're at. You've denied God. You've turned your back on him. Christian or non. He sent, he sent Peter to the church and the ministry of the Jews who ended up dying by crucifixion, hanging upside down. He is the El Ra, the God who sees me. God sees me. God sees you. He knows you. He knows who you are. And how will you respond to him today? How will you? What's your response? If your response is anything but here I am, send me. It does not honor the God who's called you. Today will you respond, here I am, send me. You are compelling. You are convicting. convicting. And God, today I respond to your calling. Pray with me. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for your word. I thank you for these precious saints. I thank you for uh, the word that you burned in my heart. God, I pray that you spoke to them. Father, I pray that we will come to a response, which is, which is worship to you. I pray right now that you're, you're moving in the hearts of people here. God, how will they respond? What's your message for them? As you continue to bow your head and close your eyes, there's some here who, who need to know you. There's some who need to know Jesus Christ for the first time. You stand guilty before a holy God. At the end of this prayer, I want you to come forward and meet Jesus Christ who wants to transform you. He says you're an enemy, but I love you and I want to change you. Nothing you've done is too bad for me. Maybe you're a believer today that you've been living for yourself. You've been living for the ways of the world. Today you've realized, I want to be transformed through Jesus Christ in true worship. Today, come pray and repent where you're at. Confess your sins. Come up here. One of our leaders will pray for you. God, I pray that you'll move in our midst right now. As the music begins to play, God, move in us for your glory. It's in Jesus' name I pray. And all of God's people said, amen, amen. Will you stand with me? Will you stand with me as we sing? If that's you I talked about, come, come now. You come to meet Jesus and say, I want to be transformed.